Hey, just super delighted to see you as I uh, just kind of look out at the crowd here. I just have tons of affection welling up in my heart. Just so thankful for you. Uh, you those of you who have been walking with us for, for years and months, I'm just, just, my heart's just thankful. Those of you guys who are visiting with us today, just grateful for you. My name is Neil Hubacher, and I'm the lead pastor of the harbor. And uh, we're just excited about this person, Jesus. He's, he's a good man, and he's son of God, and we just love him. We're learning to love him more and more. <clears throat> Before I forget, there are tons of flowers up here, and uh, these are graciously given. Most of them are graciously given from Emmanuel, our sending church. Sorry, not our sending church, our host church, this church right here. And you want to make sure that you take one of these flowers, okay? So uh, we don't want to leave any here. We got, we got daffodils. We got lilies. There's one tulip here, so whoever wants it, it's gonna, there's going to be a mad rush to the front to get the tulip front and center. That's yours. Make sure you get that after the service. Awesome. Hey, just take 30 seconds and just say hello to the people sitting right around you. Just want to make sure you know each other and have said hello. Awesome. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I am one who really enjoys the Easter liturgy. So when I say he is, in, he is risen, you say... He's risen indeed. Now, I want to teach you a new one for the purpose of tonight's message. And that is, when I say his resurrection, I want you to personalize it. I want you to say, equals my transformation. Okay? Everyone say equals. Equals my. Equals my transformation. Your cue is when I say his resurrection. Let's try that. His resurrection. He is risen. There you go. Just make sure you didn't forget, okay? Now, if I just say resurrection, don't worry. But when you get his resurrection, you say... Awesome. Thank you so much. You know, I grew up in a wonderful Methodist church. And uh, the great thing about that denomination is there's tons of um, kind of leeway as far as uh, for the local pastor. Some are very high church, meaning there's a lot of kind of liturgy, kind of formality. Some are more low church, which is... Harbor, we're kind of low church, I guess. <clears throat> but um, I really enjoyed the Easter liturgy growing up. I just loved it. And uh, uh, we, we were more high church, the church that I grew up in Needham. Wonderful experience, just healthy, health. All of my models for healthy small group and just healthy relating come from that church. And I'm so grateful. But even as a, as a young, as a child, really, even starting at 10 years old, you know, that's, that's when I think of my story, that's when I first started to really recognize what Jesus had done. This whole business of him dying on the cross and being raised from the dead really made sense to me. And I recognized my own need for him. <clears throat> but around 10 years old even, and then even more into middle school and even more so into high school, we came to this day, Easter. And I just started, I noticed this disconnect. And the disconnect was what was coming from the pulpit was some pretty phenomenal stuff. Like some really unbelievable, incredible things like Jesus Christ of Nazareth had risen from the dead. And the kind of results of that were things like people getting radically changed and transformed. And I kind of noticed that as I was growing up that that Easter Sunday was a day where we had lots more flowers and people dressed up a lot more and a lot more people showed up. And, uh, you know, there's this incredible stuff coming from the pulpit. And as a 10-year-old, I'm thinking, this is incredible, you know. But, you know, kind of the result in the pews is kind of ho-hum, shuffle, shuffle, you know. Kind of this major disconnect between this unbelievable news coming from the pulpit and then kind of where people are at or how they were receiving it. I just thought 
am I the only one who's hearing this right now? This is kind of mind-blowing, you know? And I thought, kind of, what, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> you know, this little 10-year-old kind of thinks that. Well, fast forward to, say, mid-20s, late-20s. I was an idealistic church planter, you know? I was kind of, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd made decisions about my life and my priorities based on this idea of planting a new church. So I'm at our sending church, CFCF, which is in Boston. And that disconnect that I judged as a little 10-year-old started to be my own. And here's why. We came to Easter. And, you know, Easter is a time we celebrate all the ideals of the Christian faith and all the power of God, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, all this amazing stuff. But what had started to creep in as my mid-20s became my late-20s was this cynicism and a resignation because I wasn't experiencing the very things I was sharing with other people. And my little cynical heart, as I said, little resignation creeping in, and I started to feel that very same disconnect. I thought, okay, Easter, we'll do this again. Easter kind of became this depressing reminder of all the things that I wasn't experiencing, that I wasn't living, and, and that disconnect became mine. <clears throat> so now my question is for you tonight. How do you relate to Easter? You know, when you get to Easter, is it a heartfelt celebration for you? Or is it like it had become for me kind of a mockery of your day-to-day life? You know, not really living all these things that are promised in the Bible. When you look at the resurrection, how do you relate to the resurrection? Is it for you an historical fact or as Zach and I were praying earlier, the most important fact of all history? Or is it a fairy tale, you know, for you? And I'm assuming in this room, I'd say for the purposes of this message, I'm assuming that there's about three kinds of people in here. And you're all welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But I'm assuming some of you have been walking with God for a long time. And some of you are real, you know, real mature, growing in your faith. You know, you love God. You've been walking with God for years. But I wonder for you if some of the same cynicism and resignation that had crept into my heart is creeping into yours. You know, are there places in your life where you just think, God's never going to break through here? I'm not really experiencing this resurrection power. That's my son. There's another group of people in here, and some of you are just new believers. You know, you've just recently made a decision. Yes, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. I believe his claims. I want to follow him. I want to know him. And for you, I just want tonight to be a very invitation to, hey, this, is, this, this Easter is not just a time where we put some flowers in here, but there's a whole access to power that you can have so that you can live and become the man and woman, man or woman that God has called you to be. And then I'm assuming that some of you aren't followers of Christ, that some of you are still deciding, what do I think about this whole resurrection deal? Is it a fairy tale? Some of you are wondering, you know, should I put my hope in a God that I can't see? And I, I just want to invite you to hear kind of tonight the, the, the story of what, what, what we believe God did 2,000 years ago. And I'm so glad you're here, by the way. Also, I just want to communicate that I so respect your journey of just figuring out what is true and what is not true. That's an awesome journey that I'm assuming you are on. You know, 
John Prickett, the one who just prayed, our college pastor, he did a, an awesome project for one of his seminary classes last year. And he took his video camera and he went to the, some of the college campuses in the area. And John began asking college students, you know, what do you think about the person Jesus? And of course, there is no uh, problem getting students from Salem State College, students from Endicott College, students from Gordon College to agree that there had been an historical person, Jesus. But then what was really fun to watch was when the camera was rolling, what they said when John asked, do you think that he rose from the dead? And uh, in an incredible bending of logic that I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> before, some of the, the, the Salem State and Endicott students said things like, well, he must have risen for some people, you know? <laughs> like, for some people, he rose from the dead, you know? And I'm just thinking, well, how does that work, you know? John might have been thinking the same thing for some. You know, that's just kind of, what, what, what a perfect picture of just the, the message of kind of uh, tolerance. Tolerance is a wonderful thing, by the way. Jesus was the most tolerant person ever to walk on the planet, but kind of this, this tolerance that we speak about in, the, in, in this day, you know, well, he rose for some people, I guess, you know? I mean, come on, either he did or he didn't, you know? And then some of the Gordon students said things like, well, yeah, he had to have risen from the dead because, um, because he had to prove that he was the son of God. He had to prove that he was the son of God. It was a common Gordon answer. I'm not putting down my Gordon friends here. But I suggest, why don't we look at And that's not untrue, right? P part of his resurrection was he, he was revealing who he was. But I think he knew who he was. But what, what, is, what we need to do now is just let's look at, at the Bible. Let's look. What does God say about the resurrection? John read a little bit from 1 Corinthians 15. So the thing I, wanna, I want you to know, if you want to look at what the Bible says about the, the resurrection, you want to look at the ends of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all testify to a risen Jesus, not resuscitated, not coming out of a coma, not any of these other things, but that he really was risen after three days of death. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place where, where the Apostle Paul, he, he um, came a little bit later, and where he kind of explained how Jesus showed himself, first to a small group and a large group, but only to a few hundred all in all, before he was taken back up into heaven. But today, I want to look at Romans 6, Romans 6, verse 4, answering the question, you know, what, what does the resurrection mean? You know, what, what is it about? And this is awesome. What does God have to say about the resurrection? He says this, and this is God, <laughs> through the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, so probably about 30 or 40 years after the fact of Jesus' resurrection. He says, and, and this is a great whole passage here where Paul's really explaining a lot of the truths about why Jesus came and, and, and what, it, what it means through his death and his resurrection. He says this, he says, We were therefore, we, followers of Jesus, we were therefore buried with him through baptism, right? So baptism was kind of a symbol we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So why did Jesus came? He came so that you and me could live a new life. His resurrection Yeah, his resurrection equals my transformation. He came not just to prove that he was the son of God, but he came so that you and me could have a new life, have a new heart. God could transform us. Transform means change. You'll notice there's a little pink butterfly up there, not by accident, okay? 
Because butterflies are transformed creatures. His resurrection. He came so that you and I could have new life and live a new life. But I wonder how much of it you're accessing. And I want to go back to me about 10 years ago. Again, mid-20s, older 20s. And I'll tell you what my real theology was. I, I wouldn't have articulated this at this moment or been able to articulate it this way. But honestly, this was my practical theology. How I was living was, hey, I'm kind with failure, but I'll keep getting forgiven. And I keep uh, not measuring up to God's best, but I know I'll keep getting forgiven. You know, the cross is enough. I'll, I'll keep getting forgiven. And then eventually I'm going to die. <laughs> and then I'm going to show up before God. You know, Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once and then face judgment. I'm going to face judgment. And God will be really disappointed in me, but I'll be forgiven. And then I'll just step into the eternal church service in the sky. Wow, doesn't that sound fun, you know? I don't know. Maybe not the funnest thing for you. I happen to like church now. <laughs> but that was my theology. Just make it. I'm kind of disappointing, but I'll keep getting forgiven. That was really my theology. Interestingly enough, I think that this theology is reflected in a lot of Christian art. And so I want to tell you about a, a wonderful thing. And, and um, <clears throat> um, just follow with me through this because I could offend a few of you. But I want to talk about the cross. You know, when we look at the symbol of Christianity today, it is the cross. Okay, here we go. We look at the front. There's a cross. Of course, today it's got the, the um, grave clothes there of Jesus wrapped around it. But the cross. Do you know that the cross, we can't find a cross in Christian art until we get into the 400s A.D.? We can't find a cross. Listen to this quote by Kenneth Clark. He's an art historian. I'll read it with you. Let's get that quote up there. Kenneth Clark says, We have grown so used to the idea that the crucifixion is the supreme symbol of Christianity that it is a shock to realize how late in the history of Christian art its power was recognized. In the first art of Christianity, it hardly appears. And the earliest example on the doors of Santa Sabina in Rome this is around A.D. 430. 430. Can we just realize that that's double the time that this nation has existed as a nation? 400 years. Stuck away in a corner, almost out of sight. Early Christian art is concerned with miracles, with healings, and with, I love this, hopeful aspects of the faith, like the ascension and the resurrection. His resurrection... Okay, just making sure we're staying there. Okay, can I show you this little, this little crucifixion scene? Let's show it. Let's look at it. This is Santa Sabina, Rome. There's not even a cross on there. I don't know if you can see it, but there's just the three crucified. You know, some of the Gospels indicate that, that there are some thieves there crucified next to Jesus. And just to give you perspective on how big this door is and how small that panel is, let's just look at the next picture. Thank you so much, Megan Pelletier, Okay. And I don't know if you, it's hard to see, but it's really just a small part. And there's, there's stories of the Old Testament and stories of the New Testament and the panels on both sides. Sadly, they've been rearranged. So we don't really know how they were originally meant to be. But isn't it interesting that for four centuries, the crucifixion doesn't show up as a theme? Why? Because they're so pumped about the resurrection. When you look at the story in Acts, in the book of Acts, is just the history book about the beginning of the church. Acts 1, Acts 4, Acts 17. The, 
the refrain there is that these guys were preaching. Guess what? Guess what they were preaching? Were they preaching the crucifixion? Yeah, they're, they're, they're preaching the, the resurrection. <laughs> crucifixion, no big deal. They're used to seeing people crucified. It's just Roman justice that that would happen. But the reason these guys got in trouble, the reason they kept going to jail was because they were preaching the resurrection. His resurrection... Okay, they were preaching the resurrection, and that's what got them in trouble. And, of course, when they would proclaim, right, signs would accompany, wonders would accompany, healings were happening. And when you read Acts, when you hear about, and then the extra-biblical history, history that we don't have in the Bible, but pretty reliable sources outside of the Bible, they share about all this power, power things happening. It's just amazing. They were preaching the resurrection. That's what got them in trouble. His resurrection equals my transformation. Okay, we can do that. But he came so that we could live a new life, uh, Romans 6.14. Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. Why? So that we too may live a new life. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a little litmus test to see kind of where do you think you fall on this spectrum of, hey, am I just living in the cycle that I described to you? You know, just, hey, I'm going to be forgiven. One day I'll go to heaven. I'll be a real disappointment to God and whatever, I'll make it, you know? Or are you kind of living in all that God has called for you? And I want to do this, since we're, since we're talking about cultural artifacts here, I want to take two cultural artifacts from North America, 20th and 21st century, okay? The first one being a scene from The Godfather, okay? I just need to know, so I just know what I'm dealing with here. How many of you have seen The Godfather? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, so we're maybe... St- Two-thirds Godfather literate. So let me just kind of say this. We're not going to show this scene because it's a little bit, um, and hold on, Megan, I want to show both these, these, uh, these things. Because it's a little uh, intense. <clears throat> there we go. So Godfather, this is Michael. And Michael, this scene that you see pictured there is towards the end of the film when Michael is acting as the Godfather, right? His, his friend's child is getting christened in the church. And so, you know, you've got this incredible church. You've got the priest is speaking Latin. And uh, there's Bach going on in the organ in the background. And so this christening is taking place. And then little by little, that scene goes on. And what starts to happen is other scenes interplay. And those scenes are of people with whom Michael is complicit shooting one crime boss after another, one crime family leader after another in New York and one in Las Vegas, right? You guys remember? Those of you got Godfather, you know what I'm talking about? Well, the reason I choose this scene is because it is really compelling to me. I think it's such a compelling picture of some of what we do. And at its worst, what religion can do is it can be a psychological defense for our sin. In other words, here's Michael. And he knows all this stuff is going on. He's doing the church thing over here. But outside, there's all these murders going on to which he is totally complicit. And I wonder, do we do the same thing? We do our church thing and we use it. I mean, this is at its worst. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, they're probably not, not we're not all here and, and, and whatnot. But at its worst, we do our church thing and it's actually, it just kind of feeds our our ability to keep sinning, and we just know, okay, I'll go back, and I'll get forgiven, and it's okay. And it's really powerful, because the priest switches into English, and he says, you know, do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? I do. And he says, um, do you renounce Satan? <laughs> and he's like, I do. You know, another guy gets blown away. You know, do you renounce all his pomps, you know, all the works of Satan? 
I do renounce them. Another guy gets taken, you know, a, a guy gets machine gunned to death in Las Vegas. So do you see what I'm saying? I, I just, I'm just using this scene to say we sometimes do the same thing, right? We, we, we do our religious thing, but it's just our defense mechanism for our sin because we just keep in it. We're not quite walking the resurrection power of Christ. Let me give you the, the contrast, okay? That's kind of a cross-only side of life. You know, even, honestly, even the email that I sent this week, what verse did I put in it? I put 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Yes, it's what he did. But if, if we don't finish that, you know, he also rose from the dead so we could have new life. And we're just, we're just not, we're not getting the whole deal. 1999. Anyone seen The Matrix? Neo. He is the one. We're actually going to show this scene, okay? And my point here, and again, I want to apologize. Uh, <laughs> the audio and video is, is terrible quality. But this is, well, just to set it up, and uh, some of you could do a better job than I could on this, but just to set it up, the whole story here, it's this Mr. Anderson, Neo, kind of getting a revelation that life isn't as it seems, right? The, the reality that he experiences is, um, how, by the way, how many of you have seen The Matrix? Maybe a bigger percentage here. Oh, okay. Well, a little bit better. Okay. So, you know, life is not as it seems. Actually, the whole universe he's living in is, is being, is, you know, machines are using humans to feed themselves. And, um, and, and, you know, Neo is learning the truth about who he is and, and what reality is like. And there comes this scene at the end where finally he gets it and where he's able to walk in the power that he's been given and he's able to stop all the assaults of these agents, right? And the agents are such an allegory for the enemy, for the devil, okay? So check out this scene.
Okay, so I know we're all taken aback by Keanu Reeves' incredible acting. But there's so many things that I love about this scene to this very point, you know? He realizes the power that's available to him. He's able to stop the enemy, you know? And and let me just give you what some of those bullets are. For you and me, those bullets are those thoughts like, I'm no good, or I'm going to be separated from God forever, or I'm, you know, I'm never going to change in this area. You know, whatever bullets that you get attacked with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not good looking enough. I'm, I'm overweight. You know, whatever the things are that come your way, I'm, I'm never going to be as good as this person. The comparison thoughts, all those bullets, right? He's able to stop them. Right, and then that scene where he kind of sees all the the part of the scene where he sees the digital reality of things, where he's seeing things as they really are. When we have the when we are walking in the new life that Jesus has for us, we see things as they really are, and how they really are is that we're loved by God. There's a and 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 the Bible makes it clear that this whole all of the cultures of the earth are under the power of the enemy, and um, and that we have a new life in Christ. And not only is he able to be defensive, this is where it gets really fun, he's able to be defensive, but then you see in kind of a bizarre <laughs> turn of the scene, I'm not, I'm not saying there's a whole lot of spiritual parallel here that's real, you know, you don't, you don't need to jump into a devil or anything, but the fact that he gets super offensive, right? He gets super offensive and is able to, un- to crush the works of the evil one on behalf of others, you know? That's what starts to go on. When I think about, you know, some of us walking together in faith groups, we're able to be offensive, by tearing down the works of the enemy in each other's lives. And it's wonderful. This is the resurrection life that you have been called to live if you've decided to follow Jesus. So my question for you is, where are you? If, if we kind of set those two cultural artifacts of this, this culture up as a continuum, right? One is always, you know, just kind of using the forgiveness crutch. The other being walking in the full, the new life that, that Christ gives you because he's been raised from the dead. Where are you on that continuum? And just a few thoughts what that can look like, okay? I got a few kind of examples in my mind. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction here, you know? We, we have people we, we, that are wrestling with pornography, people wrestling with food, you know, people wrestling with uh, people addictions, you know, all sorts of different addictions. If you're walking in the resurrection life of Christ, you're moving away from those because you're letting God in. There's your, your, um, any addiction, we, we, psychology tells us that any addiction is just a substitute for real pain. But when you start to walk in the resurrection life of Christ, you're allowing God into your pain and you, you authentically deal with that pain and then he starts to set you free. Maybe you find yourself always jealous, envious, and insecure. When the resurrection life of Christ starts to take over, you start to get more aware of the love of God for you, and you're more secure in who you are, and you're able to bless other people and enjoy them. Maybe you always find yourself proud and selfish and controlling. Well, when the resurrection life of Christ, when you start walking in the resurrection life of Christ, you're able to let God be your defense. You're able to let things go. You, know, you don't have to be the one in control all the time. And some of us are just really hard hearted to the purposes of God. We're too busy empire building, building our own empires. There's nothing wrong with, with um, the, the different fields that he's given us to plow, but the question is, who is at the helm of that plow, you know? If you're just building your own empire with selfish ambition, then you're missing the greatness of letting God rule and reign in your life. And he, you know, when you get a hold of the resurrection life of Christ, that new life includes him taking control of whatever your business or your endeavors are. And it means you're getting more soft and more available, more ready to listen and obey. 
So I'm just going to ask you to do two things tonight. At this point, I'll ask Josh and the worship team to come on up. I'm just going to ask you to do two things. <clears throat> I'm just going to ask you first. And this is, this is for those of you, if you're in those first two categories I mentioned tonight, if you're someone who's walked with God for a long time, or if you're someone who's just new to the Christian faith, you know, you're following Jesus now, I would ask you, say, Jesus, I would just at, ask you to ask God, God, where am I? Am I living in the cross? Which is, and sorry, in this, in this little discussion, I'm saying, am I living only in the cross? Am I just living from forgiveness to forgiveness? Which, by the way, God's got tons of forgiveness for you. I don't want to, I want you to miss that point. But I mean, is it, are you stuck? You know, are you stuck like I was a mere decade ago? Right? Are you stuck? Or are you accessing more of the new life of Christ that he promised that we see there in Romans 6, 4? Is his resurrection really equaling your transformation? Are you being transformed in those places that need transformation? I guess that's the first question you want to ask. Then the second question is that you just want to ask Jesus is, Jesus, transform me again. You know, let me believe again. Right? Some of us, you know, the cynicism, the resignation creeps in because we don't see change. It's not happening at the, at the pace we wanted or whatnot. And, 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 um, and that's where we just got to say, Jesus, transform me again. I believe again in your resurrection. I believe that this Romans 6, 4 is true, that Christ was raised from the dead so I could live a new life. I'm tired of my old life of X, whatever your issue is, your habit or your, your issue, you know. Jesus wants you to live in that new life. And you know what's fun about this is, as you and you and you and you and you and me, as we all start to do this, as we say, Jesus, where am I on this scale? Am I, am I really walking the new life? Is, is your re- resurrection really equaling my transformation today? As we all start to do it together, there's a wonderful kind of synergy that happens. I love what St. Irenaeus says. He says that the glory of God is a man fully alive, okay? So you, man and woman, you give glory to God when you're fully alive. But I can tell you, you're not going to be fully alive until, like Christ was raised from the dead, you're living the new life that he has for you, okay? So let this Easter not just be an exercise, a few desserts and some nice flowers, but let's let Easter be, Jesus, transform me again. Transform me again. Give me the new life that I need, because that's what he wants to give you. And at this point, I just want to issue another invitation. And Megan, want you to show the next slide. Because part of you uh, appropriating or walking in this resurrection life is you need to interpret some of the events that have happened to you over your life. And so at this point, I really want to invite you to the next series that we're doing on Sunday nights. We're calling it Why God Why? Starting next Sunday, the 11th, all the way through May 9th. We're going to wrestle with those questions that you have and I have. Why, God, does it hurt so much? What do I do with my pain? How come you don't answer my prayer? Some of those honest questions that you and I have. Because really, in order to appropriate this resurrection life, we need to, as I say, interpret things correctly that are happening to us. And I want to help you do that. And we're going to do it by going through the series. So you come in the Sundays that are coming and you invite other people. I think, I really can't think of a better series to invite people to who are wondering, you know, what do I think about God? What do I think about Jesus? Okay? Amen. Why don't you stand up? And for the third group of people, I just got one question to encourage you. 
to ask. It's a question that I asked, oh, before I was 10 years old. I was a little kid. And by my bedside, I just said, God, if you're real, show me. Simple prayer. God, if you're real, show me. Totally legit prayer. I invite you to, to ask that one. Okay, the rest of us are asking two questions. Jesus, where am I? And Lord, transform me again. I'm going to pray that over us. I should encourage you during this time, we, we, we like for there just to be response. So however you want to respond, you're free to respond. But please do engage. Engage with God. Engage with your neighbor. Hey, how can I pray for you? Can you pray for me? Okay? And one way, if you want to specifically engage by getting prayer from some of our leadership, then we invite you to come to the sides here. These, these sides, the far right and far left, if you come and we'll just kneel there and pray, we'll come and pray with you. We'd love to do that. <clears throat> awesome. Before I pray, I just want to say two other things. And um, we believe that God speaks. He's a speaking God. And so before the service, uh, some of us prayed together. And uh, we felt like God spoke to us about two things. We felt like he spoke to us about a left ankle and a right calf. We just feel like God wants to heal tonight. So if you have a left ankle that's hurting, or if your right calf is hurting, I think it's an invitation from God that he wants to heal it. Because that's what happens. A resurrected Jesus has resurrected power, and he does resurrection things. Amen. So Lord, we just ask you to come. And Jesus, we just let you examine our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you speak in this still, small voice. So we just open up our hearts to hear that still, small voice speaking. Lord, where are we? Are we just stuck in a cycle of failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness? Which, of course, by your great mercy, you're always going to do. But Jesus, we know the whole, the whole testimony of your resurrection is that there's more. There's new life. You know, the word says it. It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And we need new life in our hearts. Our hearts are hurting. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are in bondage, Lord. There's places where our hearts are, are, uh, have strongholds, you know, things that are stronger than us that we can't change about ourselves. And we want to apply the resurrection life of Christ to those very areas. Because Jesus, it says, First John, it says, you came to crush the works of the evil one. So you can do that, Lord. We want to be like Neo, <laughs> understanding all the power that God's given us to say no to the darts that come our way. We're the one. We're not the Messiah, but we're the one. In other words, we're the son and the daughter of God that you've called us to be. We're the ones. We're the ones that you've called us to be. We want to walk in it totally and completely. Thank you for your resurrection power, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You just respond to God. Engage with him. Pray with others. Worship him.